Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
been very, very interesting. So I've really been enjoying it. For those of you on speaker, sorry. Sorry, I was muted again. Dang it. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting. We learned a lot about Aaron Elvis Presley and some other people here in this scene. Thelma in a scene from her most famous comedy, Duck Soup with Groucho Marx. The film is still shown on a late night television. That's pretty cool. Look at old Groucho go. Look at him go. A neat and tidy solution was required. Thelma in response, or repose at a funeral home prior to the services. Thelma and DeSico in a happier moment on a night out at Hollywood's favorite watering hole, the Trocadero. Trocadero. Hmm. Favorite because it was owned by W.R. Billy Wilkerson, who also owned the Hollywood Reporter. You went to the Troc, or your name and or activities were seldom mentioned in the paper. So there's that. I love old pictures. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. I'm not sure. <clears throat> the strange and unsolved death of Thelma Todd. The real and underlying causes of death of many well-known Hollywood figures, past and present, will never be known because of cover-ups by an oligarchical community, police and citizens alike protecting its own and the millions of dollars in revenue. Such causes of death, if they were really known by the public, could be harmed. That was written by the Hollywood Citizen News, October 1936. It was 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning, the 15th of December, 1935. The scene was a lonely stretch of Pacific Coast Highway, according to the Farmer's Almanac and news stories of that Sunday. A swift wind was blowing off the Pacific Ocean, rattling the glass windows of Thelma Todd's Cafe and Roadside Rest across the road. The breakers whipped on the beach, leaving behind a white foam which shimmered in the light of the full moon in the chilly pre-dawn hours. A chauffeur-driven Packard limousine pulled up outside the hold on the high arch-shaped entrance to the famous beach retreat the long two-story building with a three-story tower at a slight angle at the south end but at the corner of the highway in positano road alongside the tower was a 270 step cement stairway to the road above which hmm Figured prominently in the death of the ice cream blonde. Thelma Todd, then 29 years old and one of the screen's most famous stars of the day, stepped out of the Packard onto the pavement. She was wearing an expensive full-length mink coat over a metallic blue sequined evening gown and matching cape. New blue silk slippers and $20,000 in jewelry. That would be $400,000 in today's market. That's a lot of money, tell you what. Let me make sure the sound is working here. Yep, there it is. As Thelma got out of the limo, the cold biting wind from the Pacific hit her. According to her driver, Ernest Peters, who always drove her to evening engagements, she drew the mink further around her shoulders and turned to him. 
You don't have to walk me to the door tonight, Ernest, she stated. And by the way, I must owe you a lot of money. Please send me a bill. With that, she walked toward the tower. Peters remained long enough to see his employer enter the mosaic-tiled entrance. Way and disappear inside. He then made a U-turn on the deserted coast highway, then known as the Roosevelt Highway, and headed for his garage in Santa Monica. That was the last time Thelma Todd was ever seen alive. It was the chauffeur that did it. Just kidding. Thelma Dodd began her career as a beauty contest winner with the title Miss Massachusetts. She was proud of this achievement, but modest enough to realize that it inspired no interest in acting for her. Thelma Todd was born in Lawrence in 1906. Her father was an important local figure, a merchant and perennial alderman. At 15, Thelma went to work at the local F.W. Woolworth. But when crowds of people, mostly young men, jammed the store merely to look at her natural beauty and hourglass figure, the manager had to fire her, regardless of the business she was bringing into the establishment. The Lawrence Elks Club proclaimed her Miss Lawrence and sponsored her in the statewide competition. She won the contest and was crowned Miss Massachusetts. Thelma was quite proud. This was the start of her show business career. For extra spending money during her high school years, she modeled in a local theater. She also impressed the manager of a community theater troupe, so much so that he sent her picture to Jesse Lasky, the man in charge of talent for Paramount Pictures. Lasky liked what he saw and offered Thelma a tryout. Howdy, UFO Bigfoot. I hope your tooth is feeling better. Her studio bios described her as a former school teacher, but despite being elected spokesman for the freshman class at Hood Normal Teachers College, Thelma dropped out after one year to accept Jesse Lasky's offer to attend the Paramount Pictures Training School in Astoria, Long Island. She graduated with the class of 1926, a class which included the future husband of Mary Pickford, Charles Buddy Rogers. Paramount gave her a role in The Fascinating Youth. The studio, Nabobs, like, liked the way that Thelma looked in fine clothes and her forceful, intelligent looks. She appeared in 13 silent films, easily making the transition to sound in 1927. Her voice was vibrant, cultured, and she strove to improve it with voice lessons. I was thinking last time um, I was reading this book that they I don't know. It just seems like you had to have a different sort of talent to do silent films, really. Because, you know, you don't have a script. You don't have anything to go on. You just have to basically use your movements and gestures and such. Facial expressions are important. Her personal motto was, while we're here, we should laugh, be gay, and have fun. And this is how she came across on screen. Thelma Todd lived up to her philosophy and became a top Hollywood star, performing in 92 films in a nine-year period, either as the star, co-star, or as a featured player. That's a lot of films. Tell you what. See, who's watching? Oh, we just lost someone. Uh, Thelma's... Mellifluous voice was a strength, but her acting forte was her sense of humor. The 
Selma Todd had the rare ability to be elegant and funny at the same time. Despite this innate ability, Thelma was still cast as the serious, sensuous, ingenue on many occasions. The first was when she was contracted by director Roland West in 1930. He appreciated her more for her beauty than her sense of humor and changed her screen name to Allison Lloyd. What a guy. So that no taint of comedy would cling to her skirts. West then starred Thelma as a jaded, manipulative, pleasure-seeking debutante opposite Chester Morris in the film Corsair. Before the film was finished, West and Todd had begun a tempestuous affair which was to continue sporadically until her death some five years later. Shortly after completing Corsair, comedy czar Hal Roque contracted Thelma Todd to again become a comedic princess. He thought the idea of Thelma performing under a pseudonym was so silly that he half-seriously threatened to change her name to Susie Dingleberry so that no taint of drama would cling to her skirts. See, they just keep changing her name. I'm glad your tooth is feeling better. Tooth stuff is serious. You gotta take care of that stuff. Roach knew that the Depression-era audiences wanted to laugh their troubles away, and nobody was funnier than Thelma Todd. She tickled America's funny bone in such slapstick classics as The Marx Brothers, Horse Feathers, and Monkey Business. Demonstrating her versatility, she acted in other dramas, but this time she used her own name. It appeared up on cinema marquees next to the monikers of such classic superstars as Humphrey Bogart, Randolph Scott, and Gary Cooper. Thelma Todd's serious films were received as well as her comedies, and she was a Hollywood sensation. During the height of her career, Thelma met part-time talent agent Pascal Pat DeSico, irreverently known behind his back as DeSico. I wonder why. He used this title and connections as a front to pimp and procure women for Louis B. Mayer and other MGM executives. Not a lot has changed so far as that goes. In July 1932, much to everyone's astonishment, Thelma eloped to Arizona with DeSico. DeSico, he's a sicko, wonder what he did. Marriage kept neither Thelma nor Pat monogamous. Thelma, who enjoyed life in the, la- uh, the fast lane, continued her affair with Ronald West as well as conducting liaisons with Ronald Coleman and band leader Abe Lyman, among others. DeSicco used Thelma's name and reputation to his own benefit. Thanks to the help of The Hollywood Reporter and other fan magazines, he attracted many aspiring starlets to his talent agency. He told young actresses that he could make them stars. I'm gonna make you famous, baby. Hey, Jim, how you doing, Mr. Morris? Oh. I miss you, buddy. Haven't seen you in a while. Where'd you go? Where'd everybody go? Let me type to. Even though I said it on air, still gonna type it. Hey, you feel big good? Okay, let's see. Where was I? 
The way he claimed to have done for Thelma and after making brazen promises he had his way with them on the large office couch. The luxurious celebrity lifestyle appealed to Thelma. She liked big houses, fancy clothes, the elegant nightlife where liquor flowed like water and fast cars. As soon as newer, speedier automobiles were released onto the market, Thelma would acquire them. Subsequently, she was cited for speeding and or driving under the influence countless occasions. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Early in 1933, she ran into a palm tree near Nichols Canyon on Hollywood Boulevard and suffered three broken ribs, a broken collarbone, and internal injuries. From these injuries, Thelma contracted peritonitis and hovered on the brink of death. The heavens were in her favor and she eventually rallied to health. The Hal Roach Studios, to whom she was now under contract, forbade her to drive. I guess she was not a good driver. Ooh, we forbid you to drive. You drive too fast. What do you got, a lead foot? Thelma began taking her maid, May Whitehead, along to drive for her and contracted Ernest Peters as her party chauffeur. Again in the pink of health, with a grueling acting schedule laid out before her, and a libido that demanded variety, Thelma grew tired of her contractual marriage to DeSicco. They divorced in March 1934. Her affair with Roland West continued. West claimed he wanted to break off the deteriorating relationship with Thelma for some time, but he never did, and eventually turned it into a venture to suit his own interests, and one that would inevitably take Thelma Todd's life. West was to figure prominently in Thelma's murder investigation. He was believed by many within the oligarchy to have been guilty. His opinion was held particularly by Hal Roach. Thelma was the producer's most valuable star and her death cost his company millions, not to mention causing another scandal which the oligarchy could ill afford. The romance between Todd and Wes led to a business partnership. Two years before her death, Wes then aged 29, actually 49, sorry, his ex-wife, the actress Jewel Carmen and Thelma had gone into partnership to open Thelma Todd's Cafe and Roadside Rest. As is usual with such stars, Thelma had no cash invested in the cafe. She just allowed her name to be used. For this, she was a 50% partner. Her name was the catalyst for drawing Hollywood's elite and wealthy downtown Hancock Park crowd to the coast hideaway. West maintained a small house in Pas Pasitano Road, but always slept in quarters above the cafe quarters that were divided from Thelma's apartment by sliding doors, which were always kept locked. Entrance to the living quarters was reached by a stairway from the lower entrance and through a heavy door to which both Todd and Wes had keys. The evening of Saturday, December 14th, 1935, was a special occasion for Thelma. The star was at the height of her career, and this evening, she was the guest of honor at the Trocadero, one of Hollywood's most celebrated night spots. It was owned by W.R. Billy Wilkerson, who was the publisher and sole owner of The Hollywood Reporter. If Hollywood's finest did not frequent the truck, 
it would be very difficult to find their names on the pages of The Hollywood Reporter, its gossip column or casting pages. The party was being given in honor of her by the British comedian Stanley Lupino, his wife and daughter. A few years before, Thelma had co-starred with Lupino in a film they made in London. Lupino, visiting Tinseltown for the first time, wanted to entertain Thelma as she had entertained him in London at the conclusion of shooting. At the party were actor Fred Keating, Grace and Gertrude Durkin, and half a dozen others. Earlier in the day, Ida Lupina, Stanley's daughter, had talked to Pat DeSico, Thelma's ex-husband. She told him about the party. DeSico, according to Lupino, in a statement to the police, said he would like to come and that he and Thelma were still good friends. Lupino said she replied, good, it's dress, and at 8.30. Thelma spent that afternoon prior to the Lupino party having a tooth filled and shopping at her favorite department store, Bullock's Wilshire. She purchased a new blue evening gown, slippers to match the gown that she had planned to wear. When Peters arrived in the Packard to chauffeur Thelma to her party, he found her dressed to the nines. Her hair was meticulously waved and her jewelry was much in evidence around her neck and on her wrist. After all, she was considered one of the best dressed women in Hollywood. And with the fan magazine photographers hovering around the entrance to the truck, she wanted to be sure she was presentable for the pages of the popular fanzines, fanzines of the day. Before she entered the car, Ronald West told her, probably in a fit of jealousy or envy, I'll be locking the restaurant at two o'clock. Better be back by then. I'll be back five minutes after, her chauffeur recalled her reply. Yeah, you know, fashionably late, as a woman must be. She told Peters to return and pick her up at 1.15 a.m. because she had an appointment at the cafe at 1.55. Peters assumed she meant she wanted to return before West locked the doors. The party, which was meant to be gay and happy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The affair began with a very embarrassing incident because DeSicco said he would attend as he and Thelma were still good friends. Ida Lupino, the ex-officio hostess for her parents, reserved a seat next to Thelma's in the private dining room. Could you imagine? Boy, The chair remained empty throughout the dinner. DeSicco was seen dancing in the main dining room with actress Margaret Lindsay, one of his clients. When Lupino reminded him that he had accepted her invitation to join the party, 
Desiko supposedly told her. It was all a joke. I never intended to come. Ida, at a loss, told Thelma. I know he was serious when he spoke to me. I know it. Ida was furious at the snub and the embarrassment. Thelma reassured her that she didn't mind and she expected it from her ex-husband whose pride and income had been hurt when she divorced him. Ida was furious at the snub, as we said before. It obviously did not upset Thelma because everyone who attended the party reported that she was her usual hilarious self. That girl so funny. Lupino later testified that Thelma had told her she was having a dynamite affair with a man from San Francisco. She said it was the most wonderful love affair she'd ever had and she hoped I could meet him very soon. Around 1.45 a.m., the time she told Peters that she must be home, Thelma excused herself from the party and went to the ladies' room. An attendant told a reporter from the Los Angeles Examiner, when she came in, she was happy, smiling, like always. She made a phone call and was very secretive about it. She kept it real confidential. I wonder who she was talking to. Tell me more. The police later asked the attendant if she thought Thelma had been calling Pat DeSico in another part of the club. I couldn't guess who she was talking to, but after the call, she was upset. I asked her if I could get her anything. She said she was fine, but I could see she wasn't. On Thelma's return to the party, those present noticed her mood change. Theater owner Sid Grauman, also a guest, asked if he could help. Yes, she replied. Would you call Roland at the cafe and tell him I'm on my way? Even though Grauman made the call, Thelma remained at the party until 3.30 a.m. Her mood did not improve. Even the doorman and the hat check girls at the truck said Thelma seemed disturbed. Ernest Peters noticed it too. He testified that Thelma hardly said a word to him on the way home. However, some of the press quoted Peters as saying Thelma told him to drive faster, Ernest. I'm afraid of being kidnapped or killed. This was probably for headlines to sell papers. In truth, it was only when she arrived at the cafe that she spoke, asking Peters to send her a bill for the services. About 30 hours after Thelma walked into the mosaic archway of the cafe, she was found dead in her 1933 Lincoln touring car. It was a cold, sunny Monday morning. Thelma's housekeeper, Mae Whitehead, intended to follow her usual custom of pulling Thelma's car out of the garage of Carmen Jules house. Castillo del Mar on Positano Drive and moved the Lincoln to the front of the cafe for Thelma's use. Whitehead could not believe what she found. Thelma Todd was slumped over the steering wheel of the Lincoln. The garage doors were closed but not locked. The ignition switch, Whitehead noticed, was on. Thelma was wearing the same clothes she had on when she left for the Trocadero. The same diamond necklace, the same valuable rings on her fingers. But there was blood on her dress, her coat, and her head and face. At the age of 29, at the height of what promised to be a brilliant career on screen, Thelma Todd had died. She was one of the few silent film stars whose voice suited the new sound medium of the talkies. So I guess that's what they call movies after the silent films was talkies. That's interesting. You got a lot of stuff to do, Jim? Well, hopefully 
you have fun doing it and hopefully the weather is treating you nicely. Whitehead ran to her own car and drove down the hill to the cafe where she got hold of Charles Smith, the 70-year-old cafe treasurer and veteran assistant director, who had served Roland West for decades. Smith buzzed West on the intercom, who was upstairs in his apartment and apparently still asleep. Dressing quickly, West appeared in minutes, ashen-faced, at the news Smith had imparted. He leaped into May Whitehead's Ford. In her excitement, on her way back to the garage, she missed a turnoff and had to turn the car around in the narrow lane on the side of the hill. At the garage, West rushed inside and put a hand to Todd's face. He pulled his hand back and wiped off the blood which had adhered. He showed little sign of emotion about the death of his meal ticket. West told May to get Rudolph Schaefer, his cafe manager and brother-in-law, who was living in Castillo del Mar with his sister, Carmen. By this time, it was 11.15. All three agreed the police should be called as soon as possible and trooped back to the cafe. They left the garage door unlocked. The police arrived 45 minutes later. Well, you can tell that they were in a hurry. At the death scene, Captain Bert Wallace, alleged to be a relative of famed producer Hal Wallace, noticed and noted that there were no signs of violence. He did not notice the look of absolute astonishment on the faces of May Whitehead and Roland West. Somebody had moved Thelma's body. But why? When first seen, it was wedged between the seat and the wheel. Weird. When Wallace arrived, the corpse had fallen to the left. Roland West turned white and shook quite violently. May Whitehead almost fainted. Wallace put it down to shock. There were still more than two gallons of gas in the tank, and the ignition key was on, but the battery was dead. Thelma's beaded purse was beside her with a key to the outside door of her apartment. The key to the inside door was nowhere to be found. Hmm. I bet it's still in the apartment. I bet somebody moved her. Thus began one of the most bizarre chapters in Los Angeles crime history. Thelma Todd's death made headlines across the country, and the news spread throughout the world. The local newspapers used her death as front-page fodder for weeks. Speculation, innuendo, rumors, and charges littered the headlines. The comedian's death became Hollywood's most sensational demise to that time. A neat and tidy solution was requested by the oligarchy, the Hayes office, and the L.A. County Sheriff. They wanted a verdict, and they wanted it fast. The compelling reason was the fact that in downtown Los Angeles, famed Warner Brothers choreographer Busby Berkeley was going on trial on three counts of manslaughter on the very day Thelma's body was discovered. Driving while under the influence of alcohol, Berkeley had struck another car on Roosevelt Highway, killing three people. What a shame. The accident occurred just a few hundred yards north of Thelma Todd's Cafe. The cinema oligarchy could not stand another high-profile scandal on top of the Berkeley trial. The star's death was, therefore, the most intentionally inept probe of a suspected murder in the history of Los Angeles. Strewn about everywhere were contradictory clues. These included, conveniently, 
discovered false sightings of Thelma all during Sunday, leads that were never followed up. Suspects who were never questioned and others who were spirited out of town by unknown benefactors. In fact, the investigation could have created the idea in the minds of screenplay authors Howard Koch and Epstein Brothers for that immortal Epstein what? For that immortal line of Claude Rains reigns in Casablanca. Round up the usual suspects. Even though the coroner determined that Thelma had been dead around 30 hours when her body was found, many witnesses came forward claiming to have seen and or talked to the star all during Sunday. Two men in a cigar store in downtown Los Angeles claimed to have recognized Thelma when she ran in and asked them to dial a telephone number for her. Carmen Jewell, in another astounding statement under oath, swore that she had seen Thelma and a dark, swarthy man very mysterious driving down sunset boulevard at 11 15 a.m sunday morning however jewel very adroitly escaped cross-examination she fainted and was excused by the next day though she had recovered sufficiently to grant luella parsons an exclusive interview confirming roland west's testimony that he and todd were just friends and you say she's just friend even more astonishing, another charter member of the oligarchy, Mrs. Wallace Ford, wife of the noted actor, insisted that Thelma had telephoned to confirm an invitation to the Ford's cocktail party that afternoon on Sunday. But a split from t- uh, tradition, one grand juror told a reporter from the Los Angeles Examiner, Several witnesses have not told all they know. It wasn't long before many of us began to suspect a very clever cover-up. You know, money walks, bullshit talks. Added grand jury foreman George Rochester, some of those who appear most mute, most dumb, apparently, are deliberately concealing facts. Potent Hollywood interests have attempted to block our probe from the beginning. I hope the witnesses understand the law of perjury. Prosecutors were aware that all was not kosher in the hearing room, said Deputy DA George Johnson in an interview cited... Falsehoods have been told by certain witnesses inside the grand jury hearing room. Someone is covering something up. Someone we think knows how Thelma Todd died. None of the facts as we have heard them bear out the physical evidence. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The reporter asked Rochester, has pressure from some influential source been brought to bear in an attempt to cover up the investigation? Bring it to an end. 
We are not stopping, he replied, noncommittally. But the witnesses stuck to their stories. In the end, the grand jury did stop. It had no choice, no evidence for indictment. There's a little asterisk there and it says, District Attorney Byrne J. Fitz, who was still receiving payoffs from the William Desmond Taylor cover-up, did the bidding again for someone in the oligarchy, a major player, to shield the real culprit of Thelma Todd's death. Do you think it was Mr. Sicko? I think it could have been. I don't know. <clears throat> District Attorney Byrne J. Fitz, in concert with Sheriff Eugene the Scalus, who had taken over the case under a little-known law that allowed the Los Angeles County Sheriff to intervene in a case occurring within its boundaries, had done their job well. Biscalus elected to invoke the little-known law at the urging of Joseph Schink, co-founder of 20th Century Fox and a close friend and benefactor of Ronald, aka Roland West. A sheriff and a deeply rooted Los Angelino from an old California family, Bascaluz had a deep interest in the industry. He often visited film sets with Daryl Zanuck and Joe Schink. He made Louis B. Mayer an honorary deputy sheriff. Bascaluz also knew Roland West intimately as a 33rd degree Mason and Lodge brother. For the icing on the oligarchy's cake, insofar as the cover-up was concerned, Bascaluz was a very close personal friend of the deputy district attorney preparing the Todd case for the grand jury. Because of clever maneuvering behind the scenes by everyone involved from Fitz to Shank to Bascaluz, the cops on the case, the verdict came down. Accidental death from carbon monoxide poisoning. But how is that possible? So the key is on, the car is not running, there's still two gallons of gas left, but the battery's dead? I don't think it was even started. The panel could have returned an indictment if there had been no cover-up by any of those involved, but money talks. See, I just said that earlier. They asked for, and got, a neat and tidy solution to Thelma Todd's death. Yes, Hollywood is a company town. Just imagine. Several years before he died, we were told by one of the most powerful attorneys in the industry that Joe Schenck intervened with his friend Jean Bascaluz and Byrne J. Fitz over the verdict in Thelma Todd's death. From information that has been collected over the years, it has been deduced that the following is the chain of events which led to Thelma's death. Can't wait to read this. It will be recalled that when Thelma left for the party at the Trocadero, West admonished her that he would be locking the restaurant at 2 o'clock. Better be back by then. It would have been in character for Thelma to tell West that she would. Come and go as she pleased, as she did. When Todd asked Sid Groman to call West around 2.30 a.m. to tell him she was on her way, in a jealous fit, West could have gone into Thelma's apartment and locked her out. He wanted to teach Thelma a lesson, as he had done, according to their friends, several times before. This would have been in character for Wes. Thelma only had a key to the outside door to her apartment, and would have to get Wes to open the inside door. 
So, when Thelma was dropped off by Ernest Peters at 4 a.m., she requested not to be escorted upstairs because she was afraid there would be a scene, as there had been many times before under similar circumstances. Thelma probably shouted at Wes through the door, demanding he let her in. Then they had another argument. West, in a jealous rage, could have told Thelma he didn't want her going to so many parties. Todd, still a bit drunk, screamed that she'd go to any damn party she chose. She probably told Wes that she had been invited to one later that day, Sunday at the Fords, and that she would be going. It was then that Thelma, not knowing what else to do, trudged up the 270 steps to the garage to the steep to sleep in her car or to drive her mother's drive to her mother's house in Hollywood. Her mother later claimed that her daughter had a weak heart. She couldn't possibly have climbed all those stairs without fainting. West obviously followed Thelma. It is the only scenario which fits all the facts. When he reached the garage, Thelma was already in her car and the engine had been started. The garage doors were open. West, noting the situation, closed the door, but did not lock it. He obviously knew nothing about the almost immediate effects of carbon monoxide poisoning, or he wanted her death to look like a suicide. He then returned to the cafe and went to bed. When Thelma didn't show up on Sunday, and West probably knew she wouldn't, it is probable that he returned to the garage and found her dead. Not knowing what to do, he probably telephoned Joe Shank for advice. All that Sunday, when people called for Thelma, they were told by West that he did not know where she was. Perhaps she was with her mother in Hollywood. It would have been typical of West, if he hadn't really known where she was, to be calling everyone Thelma knew trying to locate her. Upon examination of Thelma's body, which had been well-preserved during the cold night, the medical examiner pronounced that the probable time of death was 30 hours prior to inspection, which doesn't make sense because she was at that party. The police were undoubtedly aware of West's culpability in Thelma Todd's death. It was also suggested that Charles Lucky Luciano, hey, I've heard that name, who had been pressuring Thelma to let him open a gambling casino on the third floor of the cafe, was somehow involved in her death. This was ruled out by the LAPD and the Sheriff's Department, as a gangland hit would have been far more decisive than death by carbon monoxide, and there was the possibility that it would not do the job. For many, many years of experience in how these things work in Baghdad by the Sea, we are certain that a handful of Hollywood insiders in concert with a very corrupt district attorney and a cooperative sheriff maintained a conspiracy of silence over Todd's death for many years after. The architect of that silence? Who could it be? Joseph P. Schink, the multimillionaire co-founder of 20th, 20th Century Fox with Daryl uh, F. Zunick. Zanuck. Joe Schenck had a great concern for the oligarchy of which he was one of the character members. Most probably, he wanted to keep his lifelong friend West away from a prison sentence for Thelma Todd's death. The reason? 
According to accounts of Joe Schenck's trial for tax evasion and fraud in 1941, which included charges of a great deal of unreported income by Schenck over a period of several years, there was one outlandish business deduction taken by Schenck and or his creative accountants, as well as a stock sell fraud. Joe Schenck controlled Baja California's lucrative gambling business, including the racetrack at, at Agua Caliente. Would that be hot water? A favorite weekend hangout for the Hollywood crowd. But a new president of Mexico had recently outlawed gaming because of the temptation to Mexico's dirt poor population to indulge what little money they had on gambling activities. You know, you could get lucky, you could strike it rich. Joseph Schenck eventually spread enough pesos around Mexico City and Baja to come to an agreement with the new government. Meanwhile, in his old friend Roland West, he had found a way to recoup his bribery losses. As West testified at Schenck's trial, Schenck sold him approximately $400,000 in racetrack stock for $50,000. Then Schenck took a tax loss of more than 350000 though he never actually transferred the shares to West. The deal was structured so that Schenck had his company, Fox Loan, West the $50,000. West gave Schenck a check and then Schenck reimbursed West under the table in cash. He would then pay off the Fox Loan with the cash. According to testimony at Schenck's trial in federal court, West paid the second installment and was secretly reimbursed in December 17, 1935, the day after Todd's body was found in his garage. Well, isn't that quaint? Dun, 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 dun. No one was ever indicted or accused of Thelma Todd's death, at least openly. Any attempt to dig into the case by journalists in the intervening years was met by stony silence for as long as Schenck and her cron his cronies were alive. Thelma's producer, Hal Roque, the one who probably best knew the circumstances surrounding her death, denied any knowledge of a connection between Roland West and Joseph P. Schenck, even though that relationship was a matter of public record from the trial of Schenck for tax fraud. This Scalouse, with a little help from his friends in the industry, Money and Hype, kept getting re-elected from 1936 until he retired in 1958. That's a long time. We need a turnover here. Come on. Come on. He chose his successor, Peter Pitchens, who in turn anointed with Holy Sheriff's Water his successor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. German block. Oh. The incestuous relationships of the oligarchy and civil service. Despite the verdict of an accidental death, no one ever bothered to clarify all of the contradicting information. And I'm just wondering, like... She had blood on her face and her dress. Like, how exactly did that happen? So, can you tell me where you're ready? Um, it's, for a, it's for a surprise for you. Oh, okay. Hey, don't forget a shower. You got school tomorrow. Mm-hmm. All right. Bring it back. Well, yeah, like, where'd the blood come from? Like, something obviously happened. Like, maybe, like, when she passed out, she hit her face on the steering wheel and maybe that's where the blood came from? I don't know, it's pretty shady. Despite the statement of a police captain on the investigation that the soles of Thelma's new evening slippers were scuffed, the commensurate with a climb up 270 cement steps, the press reported that the slippers showed no signs of wear. Hmm. Did Carmen Jewel really see Thelma driving on Sunday? On Sunset Boulevard, the Sunday morning with a swarthy man, it must be remembered that Carmen had more to gain by keeping West out of jail because of their impending divorce and alimony. It could also have been Carmen Jewell imitating Thelma, who really called Mrs. Wallace Ford that Sunday to RSVP. Carmen Jewell was an actress and could easily have passed for Thelma on the scratchy and unreliable telephones of the era. How could Thelma Todd have been seen at a cigar store Sunday morning if she was dead? It would have been an easy matter for the district attorney's office to convince the store owner to testify that Thelma asked him to make a telephone call for her that Sunday morning. The cigar store was not far from the DA's office and was frequented by employees of City Hall for the occasional lagger. It is highly doubtful that Luciano would order a hit on Thelma Todd, the take, from a gambling casino in the cafe would have been infinitesimal, infinitesimal compared to the shakedowns. The mob was extracting from the industry in other, more subtle ways. The official verdict of the coroner's report came as close as it could to calling Thelma Todd's death murder. I'm telling you, it was. This was no accident. Something happened. But in the final analysis, those behind the scenes had engineered the verdict that they wanted. The neat and tidy solution. Thelma Todd, the decent the descendant died by asphyxiation, perhaps intentionally. The cause of death, carbon monoxide poisoning. How do they know? The finding further stated, the decedent finding herself locked out of her apartment. But if you have a key to the outside and you get can get to the inside, 
Wouldn't you do that instead of climbing 200 and something freaking stairs to get to your car? This makes no sense. The decedent, finding herself locked out of her apartment, climbed the 270 steps of the outside staircase from the cafe to the garage where decedent garage her automobile. The decedent huddled in the front seat of the vehicle and started the engine and was asphyxiated by the carbon monoxide fumes. This was the verdict that the doyens of the industry behind the scenes had demanded, and whatever payoffs were necessary to accomplish it were made. The attitude was, let's face it boys, Dalmatod is dead and nothing is going to bring her back. There are plenty of dames out there to replace her. The official tidy result of the investigation of Thelma Todd's death accidentally or otherwise, and no matter how ludicrous to those who had studied the facts, put an end to the speculation about murder. It got the Thelma Todd problem off the front pages and with a minimum of fuss. Bank accounts downtown became a little fatter and some new cars rolled out of several showrooms. The case was closed. We repeat the statement of Ezra Goodman from his book of many years ago, The 50-Year Decline and Fall of Hollywood. It is very propus to Thelma Todd Porter. The Hollywood's founding moguls preached of the good, noble, and beautiful, and they themselves fostered in their lives the works and works the evil, the noble, the ugly. One final twist to the unsolved mystery of Thelma Todd's death is that Wes, obviously wishing to cleanse his soul of his sordid past, confessed to accidentally killing Thelma to his old friend, actor Chester Morris. When, on his deathbed in Santa Monica Hospital, the actor who starred in West's most famous film, Corsair, confided this to several other people, one of whom told us several years ago when we were digging into the case. Roland West died in 1951, almost 10 years to the day before Joe Schenck's death in Beverly Hills. Roland West, director of the brilliant silent films such as The Bat Whispers and The Monsters, was punished for his actions by the oligarchy by never being allowed to direct or produce another picture. That was his sentence for taking the life of Thelma Todd, one of the brightest stars on the screen and one of the most famous of all Hollywood's unsolved mysteries. So here's a picture of Roland West and director and partner in the cafe and Thelma's sometime lover discussing her death with R.H.W. Schaefer, the manager and accountant of Thelma Todd's roadside rest. They are waiting to testify at the coroner's inquest. Rigged before it even got started, which is, you know, how it happens a lot in Hollywood. Look at those guys. Just check them out. They're plotting something. Something sleazy. Sleazy, see? Very sleazy. Well, on that note, boys and girls, we are going to go to our first music break. And on this break, we have Miss Mia Savage with her band Antidote for Savages with Your Skeleton, Our New Reality, Lumiere and Crypto, and Let Me Be Your Home. You guys don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this music break.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
But last weekend, we had an incident here. It's creepy. So, Sunday night, went out after the show, and um, was getting the kids' clothes ready for school and getting their snacks ready and everything, and... Then I also got a snack because, like, I'm not generally hungry during the day, but then at night, like, all I think about is, like, recipes and things I can cook and stuff like that. And I watch cooking shows, and so it makes me really freaking hungry, but yeah. So I come into the bedroom, and my husband is giving me this look like I did something wrong, and I'm like, what? I didn't even do anything. Like, why, why are you looking at me like that? And he's like, how long have you been out there? about 25-30 minutes I just saw you go into your office like you were looking at your phone you were walking through and you went into your office and I was like well how long ago was that and he said like 3-5 to five minutes ago so I have a doppelganger running around and I don't know what its intentions are I'm scared you guys I'm scared I don't even know what to think about that. I don't know. It freaks me out because you hear stories about doppelgangers and what the crack? Is it here? Is it wanting to take over my life? And why the hell would you want to do that? Because my life is pretty stressful. I don't know. It's creepy as F. Creepy AF. What do you think? Leave a comment down below because... What the hell? So I don't know if it's because it's September, we're approaching Halloween season, so the veil is getting thinner, I know the moon is sliding away from Earth, better than getting closer, you know, I can imagine, but holy shnikes, you guys, like, that is weird. Hello, Travis. No, I was just talking about my doppelganger. Did you hear about that, Travis? Travis, did you hear about that? No, it was last Sunday, and I was just like burning this incense or sage the power of christ compels you the power of christ compels you like i'm trying to keep this shit away from me but last sunday my son my husband saw my doppelganger dude seriously okay so one time when she was seen she was doing the dishes okay um okay don't forget to bring back the tape too okay but yeah, one time she was seen and she was in the kitchen doing the dishes. Like, if you're going to do that shit, like, come on back, doppelganger. Seriously. Um, but then there was even one of my daughter, my second oldest daughter, Nova. She's 19 now, but at the time I think she was like 13 or 14 or something. But our roommate was talking to her and she she's like, why aren't you replying to me? Because like she just walked through, she went in, she was like making cereal or something. And um, so Amanda walks in there and she's like, why aren't you responding? And she wasn't there. So we have doppelgangers running around and it's neither here nor there. Like, it doesn't happen like all the time. Hold on. I gotta close the door. But it's freaking weird. Like, generally, when a doppelganger is seen, they want to take over your life. Which, why? Why would they want to have my life? Like, it's so stressful. Um, But... I don't know. It's freaking me out, you guys. It's freaking, freaking me out. So that was years ago when my doppelganger was seen. Um, there was even one time when Nova, she was playing outside and I went out there 
not me, but my doppelganger, and pushed her down. And then ran inside and locked the door. We used to have a sliding glass door. Now there's like three windows there. So we've like rebuilt and kind of changed the place a little bit. And she came back in and I'm sitting at the table. We had one of those cool round gaming tables. It was on top of a barrel that looked like a wine barrel or something. And the chairs were like wine barrels. And me and my roommates at the time were sitting there playing poker. And she comes in and she's like, why? Why did you push me down and why are you wearing different clothes? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said that I was wearing a white dress and I came out and I pushed her down. And then I laughed and ran away and... Uh, lock the door on her freaking weird so at least this time well i wish she'd come back and do the dishes because we really need to do the dishes but she was coming into my office and yeah Vern was giving me that look like like i'm up to something like i did something bad i'm like what i was just you know getting the kids school clothes and snacks ready what the hell why are you looking at me like that but i agree you have a big foot if you're gonna be here you better pitch on on rent or utilities because we now own the house because our awesome landlord actually gave us the house and asked for like $400 so he could buy some snowshoes or something. So we now are ho uh, homeowners of this crazy haunted ass place. One of the other ghosts that have been seen here was the guy John that used to live here. And he died from... Oh man, it's a smoking disease. Eczema? No, not eczema. That's a skin thing. Um, can't think of what it's called right now. The the name of this disease is escaping me. But yeah, he died here in my bedroom, in this house, and he has been seen. Like the kids have seen him. He's a really nice guy, and it's funny because like before I even knew his name, I came up with the name John, and that's what I I would call him. Emphysema, thank you, UFO Bigfoot. That's what he died from, was emphysema. Pretty close to eczema, but not quite. <laughs> um, but yeah, he died from emphysema, and so we haven't been using our natural gas heaters for some time now. And so he was there, he was trying to fix the dolly thing, like the face of it is off. And it's just sitting there. I think we've completely removed it at this point. And they still work. The only problem is like right here in my office, which if you don't know, now you know. I'm in a bathroom um, that I made into my office because shit was just falling apart. Like, So he was running a bath and our landlord showed up and um, he left the water running and it overflowed. And then it caused the floor to cave in and then it caused one of the ducts to collapse. I think that's where a lot of the mice are getting in. Um, but yeah, ever since then, um, I think we used the heaters as far as the natural gas heaters. We used it for that year. We haven't used it since. We've been using a gas stove. So, this chapter, moving right along, let's not talk about the doppelganger anymore because she might show up again tonight. Hopefully, if she does, she does some freaking dishes or... Casey Electric Billers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
we lost a very valuable show business asset. And this is Miss Carol Wayne, the matinee lady of Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Carol made over a hundred appearances with Carson and in several films in which she had a bit part. Her death to the Mexican police is believed to have been murder. They would like to question Carol's companion on the trip, Edward Durston, the same man who was with Diane Linkletter when she leaped to her death from a sixth-floor window several years before Wayne's death. What? I don't think so. I think she was pushed, but here is her picture. Look at you. Just look at you. Pretty young thing. Pretty sure that's a wig. Here's another picture. Carol Wayne Wright with actress Donna Pinterotto on NBC Comedy Theater. There are very few pictures of Wayne's professional appearances available. She did a Playboy layout one year before her death. And there's uh, another picture. Pretty lady. Chapter 5. Carol Wayne, the matinee lady, and her mysterious death. Carol Wayne's death is unsolved, certainly, but I don't think it was a drowning. A drowning, yes, of course, but there's more to it than that. Was it a drowning or was she pushed out the window? What the hell? What is this? And this was by William Lecoqua. U.S. Consular Official, Manzanillo, Mexico, June 1990. Buxom blonde actress Carol Wayne was bankrupt and hooked on cocaine and booze when she jetted off to Mexico in January 1985 to get away from her woes and attempt to dry out. Accompanying Wayne was Los Angeles's used car salesman, a mysterious figure named Edward Durston. It was Durston who was with another aspiring actress the night of October 4th, 1969, when she either jumped or fell from a sixth-floor apartment window near the Sunset Strip. I'm saying, shady, something shady is happening here. There's something up with this guy, Wayne. I think he's got his little tidbits into too many things. The mysterious circumstances surrounding that Carol Wayne's shocking death at the end of the getaway from it all. Yes. You done? Yeah. Oh, you bringing back stuff? Oh, oh no. Oh my goodness. It's a UFO. And, uh, what is that? It's a cow. There's a cow. So Lily just made this for me. Oh yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you, sissy. Can I have a hug? That's awesome. Thank you for making that for me. Thanks. Good job. I will grab the stuff now. Okay. Okay, so the mysterious circumstances surrounding Carol Wayne's shocking death at the end of that getaway from it all, I'll have a last fling vacation, pointed out the probability of murder to Mexican officials investigating the death. The fully clothed but horribly bloated body of Carol Wayne was found floating in sun-drenched Santiago Bay at Manzanillo on January 13, 1985. Fisherman Abel de Dios 
de Dios was casting a net from his wooden fishing boat about 300 yards out in the bay when he spotted the body floating no more than 20 feet away. When the body was brought ashore in a police launch and identified as that of Carol Wayne by employees of the Los Hadas Resort, Edward Durston, with whom she had checked in earlier in the week, could not be located. Thanks, bug. Go take your shower. You gotta get ready for school. A few hours later, it was discovered that he had left for Los Angeles two days before Wayne's body was discovered. Strangely, he deposited her luggage at the airport saying she would pick it up in the morning. Or would she? When the, uh, the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson was a 90-minute affair five nights a week, one of the more popular sketches was the Tea Time movie with the lecherous art firm Carson and his assistants, the matinee lady. The lady with the bounteous chest and bounteous chest and a drop-dead figure was Carol Wayne. When 30 minutes of most of the most successful show on late-night television was eliminated at Carson's request, the skit had to go. With its demise, Carol Wayne lost a lucrative income as the foil of Johnny Carson. Some say that many times she was more than just a foil to Carson. In fact, people on and off the show noticed that Carol and Johnny hit it off so well on stage that it was only logical they'd get together offstage. In 1984, Playboy Layout, an interview, Carol explained, there was always bad timing. She, like Carson, had been married and divorced three times. We were never not together when we were apart, she said. Translated, that meant we were never between spouses and enhanced all her delivered in her unusual, squeaky, dumb, blonde voice. It was that voice which made her the master of the double entendre. If Carol Wayne asked somebody if they would like a cup of coffee, it sounded as if she was asking them to go to bed with her. Would you like a cup of coffee? Carol Wayne's forte was her ability to make innocent statements seem suggestive. She was one of a kind, and Hollywood lost a good one when she was drowned, either accidentally or on purpose, in the bay at Manzanillo. I'm telling you, like, that guy drowned her, and then he ran off back to the States and sent her luggage. Carol Wayne became a very familiar face to late-night television addicts through more than 100 appearances on The Late Night Show, or The Tonight Show, a record apart from Carson and other regulars for any performer. Said Pat McCormick, a longtime writer for Carson and The Tonight Show, I met Carol when she first came on the show at the request of Johnny and became his sidekick on the Tea Time movie skit. Johnny did tons of shows with Carol, and Johnny Carson would not work with anyone who is not professional. When he enjoys working with somebody, the whole country enjoys them. Johnny had a good time with Carol, said Mr. McCormick ambiguously when he was once asked about her relationship with Carson. Carol Wayne was a favorite with all the legends of show business somehow in a town where sexy and overly built starlets are a dime a dozen or a hundred dollars a night. Carol Wayne managed to become everyone's first choice. Thanks to a figure that could turn every head of Hugh Hefner and did, she decided to bear all for Playboy in February 1984. 
By then, she had been divorced three times, on the verge of bankruptcy, and, some saying, dependent on drugs and alcohol to get her through the days and long nights with no work of a regular nature. The bubbly, happy Carol Wayne of the Tea Time movie was far cry from the emotional wreck she had become since losing the regular appearances she enjoyed with Carson. The Playboy interview reveals her vulnerability. <clears throat> Friends and acquaintances say that her heavy cocaine habit had grown even heavier until her departure to Manzanillo, and the exclusive and very expensive Las Hadas Resort, her alcohol intake also increased daily. So I know, like, so I'm like, shit, I can't even think of how many years now. Man, I'm going to say like 17 or 18 years clean now of methamphetamine. But yes, I used to be a tweaker, and it took my dad dying to realize, like, not only am I lying to those around me that I love, but I'm lying to myself. And so I quit taking methamphetamine, and then I started drinking really heavy, which was a no-no for me as far as, like, I never wanted to be like my dad. Um, but it helped me to get off of it and kick it, so yay for me, like, one of the lucky 6%. But I know, like, my dad back in the day so we lived in Arkansas Fayetteville Arkansas and we also moved to Miami Florida my dad was like he was one of the major coke guys he was in the game back in the day but yeah he spent a lot of money on that I'm pretty sure or just being a dealer and just having free shit to snort or however you take it I know he wasn't shooting because I got shitty veins just like him and I I never did that I was a smoker but yeah, it's crazy, like, these different addictions that we get and how we, we fight them and beat them could be with other substances, could be something else altogether. With the cocaine chewing up her bank account, she was forced to declare bankruptcy on December 13th, 1984, just three weeks before she went on that fateful vacation which was to claim her life. On the bankruptcy petition, she listed her income at the time as 000.00. Insiders told us at the time of her death that Richard Pryor had offered her a part in his next movie, but the offer was contingent upon Carol checking into a booze and drug rehabilitation center. It was said that Pryor would also guarantee the costs, which that's pretty cool. Um, Richard Pryor was awesome. I really like that guy. Kim, Robin Williams, and I think like Whoopi Goldberg, they used to do a show together. I don't know if it was like raising funds for cancer or something, but it's pretty fucking awesome what they did. Just pardon my language. Instead, Carol Wayne tried to take an easier way out. She attempted to dry out in Mexico. On January 4th, 1985, she and Edward Durston flew to Manzanillo and checked in to the Las Hadas complex. Pretty sure I remember this lady because I used to watch Johnny Carson. Stay up late uh, watching that with my dad, and then even later was Star Trek. As far as her squeaky voice was concerned, Carol told us prior to an appearance on The Tonight Show that her whole family had the same voice. Seriously, this is inherited? 
My sister Nina was his voice as a telephone operator, in fact, almost a supervisor. The actor for help at the telephone company, you might get my sister on the other end. Nina, who was 12 months and 12 days younger than the 42-year-old Carol, her age when found dead, was also in show business, appearing in the very forgettable Camp Runamuck TV series. The two sisters were raised as virtual twins by their parents, particularly their ambitious mother and sentenced to a life as performers due to her ardor for their success. During a polio scare many years before her death, Mrs. Wayne thought no polio germs could live in an ice rink. Such logic, laughed Carol, resulted in years of ice skating lessons. Our grandmother made all of our clothes. We were never in fashion. We were Chinese one year, pilgrims another, Japanese the following year. We did stupid, stupid ponytails, and because we were tall and had long legs and had ponytails, we were offered a professional contract when we were 15 and 16. Yes, she sighed. Neither of us finished high school. Yes, she repeated. Zip education. And that happens with a lot of people like, um, just like Ashton Kutcher. He found stardom as far as like modeling for Calvin Klein and other people. And so once he got that modeling gig, he quit school and I don't think he ever graduated. I would just to get it, but that's just me. <clears throat> for three years, the nerd Wayne sisters, Carol's expression for them, did their 42 city tour with the ice capades. That is, until Carol's big accident. Exhibiting a five-inch scar on her knee, Carol explained, Sometimes people would unconsciously, or perhaps or purpose, throw pennies that would stick to the ice and make you fall down. It was, she laughed, a very unforgiving sport. When your blades hit something that wasn't meant to be, you crashed. Like Carol did. Carol later returned to the ice capades to finish the tour, but... It was the end of the Wayne sisters' skating career. When you train for something so young and become good at it as we did, you never know if it's what you were meant to do in the scheme of things of life, or if it was just because it was someone else's idea. We missed the childhood of growing up, dating, junior and senior proms, and all those goodies. She observed solemnly, I missed prom too because I decided to date an older guy because I had daddy issues. Anywho, following the ice skating caper, the girls found jobs in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, with the Follies Brigade. Brigade. I think it's Brigade. We were two pretty girls with no education. There was nothing else to do, she lamented, although there were probably very few polio germs backstage at the Tropicana. Their mother was not necessarily pleased. Girls, she complained, could you ask them for a couple more feathers? On their days off from the Tropicana, Nina and Carol would always head for Los Angeles, a six-hour drive. Nina and I would always go to L.A. when we got off, so to speak, she explained with another Wayneism or double entendre. One time I went to a party and a man said to me, We're looking for a girl just like you. I thought, Sure they are. He told me to meet him at Disillusioned Studios in the morning, and I did, just for a lark. They gave me a screen test, and I got the part. And I got all my parts ever since then, she laughed, looking down at her ample chest. Brown chicken, brown cow. 
It was while she was working in Las Vegas that Carol Wayne met husband number one. Less than a year after the wedding, they split. She remarked at the time of her divorce that skating taught me to be limber, but that marriage really taught me how to be flexible. A typical cryptic Wayne's remark. Carol married for the second time in Hollywood. On this occasion, the lucky man was rock artist and photographer Barry Feinstein. Why does this name keep coming up? When they met, Feinstein was married to Mary Travers of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Following their wedding, Carol always referred to the trio following the wedding as Peter, Paul, and Scary. <laughs> I guess Mary was scary. It was with Feinstein that Carol Wayne had her one and only child, a son named Alex. Carol found herself dividing her time between Alex and the music world her husband inhabited as an album designer and concert photographer. It all went bust after seven years. The fray boots the Levi's. I couldn't stand the whole New York cowboy thing anymore. It was then that Feinstein became, in Carol's words, my second and last ex-husband. Carol Wayne's third and last marriage ended in divorce in 1980. Her husband was Bert Sugarman, producer of the long-running The Midnight Special. I remember that. It was following her divorce from Sugarman that Carol Wayne started on the long, slow ride to her death in Manzanillo. Oh, she worked several bit parts in movies, among them the forgettable Savannah Smiles, which, when last heard from, was playing 30,000 feet in the air on Pakistani Airlines on Air Burma 747s. Carol then spent most of her time being corrupted by her 14-year-old son, Alex. <laughs> Your son is corrupting you. Are you serious? What? Oh, in 1984, Alex was attending Beverly Hills High School where she remarked, The kids all know how to spell Omega, but not that. They all know the year of your Rolls Royce, but not the two dimes and nickels to make a quarter. Carol also, at the urging of Alex's corrupting influence, took up smoking, but not the type of cigarette manufactured in Durham, North Carolina. At irregular intervals, Carol Wayne used to pull out a clove cigarette. I know people that like them. I don't like them. They give me heartburn. It's like, even though you're not ingesting them, just smoking it, just like menthols, like, it gives you heartburn. I can't handle it. So she'd pull out a clove cigarette, the aroma of which was strong enough to get them banned from particularly every restaurant in Los Angeles. Alex told her that cigarettes would give her a big head rush. Little did she realize, but Carol Wayne was on the way to finding even better head rushes that would lead to her final destruction, a cocaine and alcohol habit. While they were at Las Hadas Hotel, employees told us that Carol and Durston appeared to be having fun, dancing and drinking. Drinking was the reason that Carol Wayne was at the resort, to overcome the habit. Durston was a bad influence. She certainly didn't seem suicidal at all, just the opposite. She was full of life, said the hotel guest relations director, Hans Rothlisberger. Rothlisberger. 
On January 10th, the day they were due to leave, the couple missed their 7 p.m. flight. They did not have enough money or credit cards with which to check back into the Las Hadas. Besides, their room had already been assigned to another guest and the hotel was full. According to Ross Leisberger, the staff found them a room at a cheaper hotel on the bay, the Playa de Santiago. <clears throat> when they arrived at the hotel at 8.30 p.m., Carol refused to get out of the taxi. She and Durston got into a furious argument, according to the hotel manager, Gabriel Torres. She, cre uh, she screamed at Durston. Why have you brought me to a dump like this? Torres recalled several days following the discovery of her body. It's only for one night, Durston explained to her. Finally, she told the bellboy to take her luggage up to the room, but she still refused to join Mr. Durston. So, he followed the bellboy, leaving Miss Wayne behind in the street. Vividly recalled the hotel manager. A few minutes later, Mr. Durston and the bellboy came back downstairs and found that the blonde lady had disappeared. She most likely went to a cantina down the road. That's what I would have done. F this guy. I'm going to go to this cantina and have some tequila, cheese, and chips. I don't know if you guys have tried it. It's freaking delicious. So they bring out like cheese and they pour tequila on top of it and they light it on fire and it melts the cheese. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. I actually got left behind in Mexico at that cantina when I went on my cruise. Luckily, about 20 miles down the road, my sister realized after some guy said, Hey, where's your sister? She realized they left me behind. So, yeah. What if... I would have realized she wasn't there from the get-go, but, you know. Different strokes for different folks. The police later learned that Carol Wayne had walked toward the beach. Durston went into the hotel bar, but left soon afterward. He returned, according to the hotel staff, at 2.30 a.m., and again the next morning, asking if Carol had shown up. Durston, who was told she had not, had checked into another hotel. Why? Why the F would he do that? I don't get it. Cover up! Guilty conscious much? Like, you don't have credit cards or anything like that, and you booked this room for pretty cheap, but now you're going to stay at a different hotel? I think there's something wrong with that. I don't know about you, UFO Bigfoot, but something seems kind of creepy and shady. So then... Durston, who was told she had not, had checked into another hotel. Durston flew back to Los Angeles that afternoon, taking his and Carol Wayne's bags to the airport. He told the airline she would pick them up in the morning, a rather strange statement, when he said he had not seen her and had been asking the hotel employees if she had returned. That's because he drowned her ass in the fucking ocean. Sorry, I used that word. Why did Durston show such a lack of concern about Carol Wayne's whereabouts? And why did he check into another hotel when his baggage was at the Playa de Santiago? That's what I'm saying. Like, why would he have this room at the Playa de Santiago and then go rent another room? Hmm? I think he's trying to separate himself from the situation to make himself seem more innocent. But to me, it makes him more guilty. 
Why did Durston not search for Carol on the beach after he was told that she had walked in that direction? Instead, why did he go into the hotel bar as though nothing had happened and then leave? Third, what was he doing from 9 p.m. until he returned at 2.30 a.m.? Number four, why did he check out of the hotel with her and... More importantly, why did he not make inquiries at the airport to see if Carol had left on an earlier flight? Or why did Durston, at the very least, not file a missing persons report with the local police? Because he's guilty of murder. He killed her. Just like that lady that fell out of the sixth floor window. Mm-hmm. Sure, Mr. Durston. No missing person report was ever filed, nor any of these questions answered. Once Durston was out of Mexico, or the Mexican jurisdiction, he could not be questioned by the local police. But why the latter never asked the Los Angeles Police Department to question Durston was never explained. Following discovery of Carol Wayne's body, District Attorney George Hernandez of Manzanillo said, There are many questions. The case certainly will not be closed until they are answered satisfactorily. Manzanillo Police Chief Rafael Blanco stated, I cannot rule out murder. There are too many things to be suspicious of at this stage of the investigation. You know, I was trying to do a Mexican accent, but I actually did an Indian one. Sorry. <laughs> the two important questions Chief Blanco would like to have asked Durston are obvious. Why did he leave Manzanillo so suddenly? He left for Los Angeles while he knew Miss Wayne was still missing. I find that very strange, and so do I. I think you're up to something, Mr. Durston. What did you do? I also find it very strange that he did not contact us since Miss Wayne's body was found. We did not hear from him at all, and he must have heard about her death in Los Angeles. Pretty shady. Further questions were asked by District Attorney Hernandez. We know that Mr. Durston and Miss Wayne quarreled and that they had some money problems at Las Hadas. It is very expensive and they didn't have enough money to check back in after they missed their flight and the hotel was full besides. But I, we, do know what they quarreled about. Nor does anyone else who saw them. And another question that remains unanswered is, why did Mr. Durston take Mrs. Wayne's luggage to the airport before he left? That's because he didn't want her stuff left behind and the investigation to start from there. So he probably beat her ass in the hotel room and then they went down to the beach to make up or something. And then he decided to drown her um, in the ocean. And another question that remains unanswered is, why did Mr. Durston take... Yeah, I already said that. It would be more logical for him to leave it at the hotel in case she returned. Exactly. But he knew she wouldn't, so he took it there and was like, well, she come for it, you know, when she comes to take her flight. There are a lot of, or shall I say, personal items a lady needs for everyday use in the luggage we picked up at the airport. Hmm... Hernandez again stressed that Carol Wayne's body was fully clothed when it was discovered in the bay. This arouses my suspicions, immediate suspicions, about the nature of the death. 
Even if she was upset and unhappy, I do not think it likely, continued Hernandez, that she would kill herself by drowning. In my experience, that's a method that's rarely used, even by the most deranged or unbalanced person. And I have seen movies where like people just walk into the ocean and unalive themselves. But it takes a lot of guts and balls and stuff like that in order to do that because like you have to weigh yourself down with rocks you have to keep yourself under the water and you like when you're losing oxygen you have that thing where you you want to pop up above the water but to me like that's one of the worst ways to die especially falling from heights like I had a reoccurring dream when i was a kid and i think it was a past life thing but i fell from the skyscraper and I believe it was in New York, but I fell and every night I'd have this dream. And the more I fell, the closer and closer and closer I got to that crack in the, the sidewalk. It was the worst freaking nightmare ever. In an autopsy, it was estimated that Carol Wayne had been dead about 36 to 48 hours when she was discovered. The authorities could not understand how she drowned. Initial tests found no traces of alcohol or drugs in her blood, and that's weird because she was using coke quite a bit, and she was drinking, I think, to counteract the high effect of coke. So it's pretty interesting that she didn't have anything in her body, and they said she went there to dry out so she could do this new show and get her new income going. Pretty intriguing that she didn't have anything in her system, like... Nothing. Nothing. <sighs> Initial tests found no traces of alcohol or drugs in her blood, and the waters of Santiago Bay are gentle. Near the beach, the bay is so shallow that Carol Wayne would have had to wade out 250 to 300 feet just to reach water four feet deep. There were, said Deputy District Attorney Arturo Lil two outcroppings of rocks on the beach but he rolled out an accidental fall because there were no signs of cuts or bruises anywhere on carol wayne's body because she was freaking drowned number one how did miss carol wayne drown in such shallow water all it takes is like a couple tablespoons they say as the district attorney stated earlier, seldom does anyone commit suicide by drowning unless they are unbalanced or deranged, and Carol Wayne certainly did not fit that category. Number two, because no drugs or alcohol were found in her blood, perhaps Carol Wayne had accomplished the purpose of the getaway from an all vacation. She had dried out from alcohol and had ingested no drugs for at least a week. She's doing what she needs to do to get clean so she can go back to working and making money. She loved entertaining. A representative of the American consulate, William Lagoqua, investigated Carol Wayne's death for the family. My investigation was to reveal that she had been a heavy user of drugs. It also revealed that she and Durston had a hot and heavy argument at the Playa de Santiago Hotel and she had taken off from the location and was never seen again. Because that mf -er drowned her, I'm telling you. 
She didn't like the accommodations, I guess, even though she did not see the room reserved for them. She was mad at everything. I did some checking and found out that her boyfriend had also checked out of the hotel and did not spend the night there. He checked him in himself into another smaller hotel while she was still missing. See, he just looks so freaking guilty. He returned the following evening, the day he left, to check them both out of the Hotel Playa. He took her luggage to the airport with him and told the airline clerks she will pick it up in the morning. With that, said La Coqua, Burston took off for Los Angeles. I understand he never even bothered to file a missing persons report with the local police. This would have to be the correct thing to do. In reopening their files in 1990, the official conclusion of the Manzanillo police was that it was an accidental death for want of any other evidence to the contrary. 1. The police state that Carol Wayne's body showed up, no sign of physical violence. It's probably because he, like, was just holding her head down into the water. Hey, what's up, Adrian? It was nice hanging out with you last night. Number two, there was no evidence that it was a homicide, although the situation was rather unusual. I must say so myself. Very unusual. Three, could Carol Wayne have had her head held underwater until her lungs were full and she drowned? That's what I'm saying. So there's no signs of bruising like anywhere else on the body, but he had her head. He held her head underwater until she drowned. That's why, like, there's these different reefs that she could have gone out on and she could have fallen and gotten cut or scraped up, but she didn't. Um, so, yeah, she was found yucky and bloated in the water days after by a freaking fisherman because this MFR got upset because they left this one hotel, went to another. This was not up to her standards. And she left in the hissy, and he followed her to the beach and held her head, like, held her head under the water and drowned this poor lady. I'm telling you, this is what happened. Number four, the Manzanillo police studiously avoided that question in their report. Oh, why? Did you get paid off? Like, I don't know, this guy's a crook. Number five, the best theory the police could come up with is that after leaving the Hotel Playa, I want to call it Playa, she went walking along some slippery rocks and accidentally fell into the water. Hmm. Very strange story indeed, dude. How could Carol Wayne, who could not swim and never liked to be near water, drown in a calm, shallow bay? Because she was moited. This was a tragically ironic demise, especially considering the cliched joke she inspired around The Tonight Show. With that chest, this lady will never drown because, you know, those things will keep her afloat. Unfortunately, she did drown. However, in the police sum summation, the possible cause of Carol Wayne's death, slipping off some rocks into the bay, they conveniently overlooked the fact that there were no bruises or other marks the fall on Carol's body when it was discovered. Yeah, so she was in, um, so she was at one hotel, and then it was all booked up, and they had like one more night left in Mexico, so they went to the Hotel Playa, 
um, Mr. Adrian and she didn't like it. She's like, why are you taking me to this scummy ass motel? I don't want to be here. I'm too good for me. No, she would. She refused to leave the cab. So, Mr. What's his ass? What the fuck was his name? Uh. Hold on, I got it, I got it. Where, where'd it go? Hello? Durston. So, Mr. Durston went, put their shit in their room, went back to the car. Supposedly, she was gone, but maybe he's like, hey, you know, let's calm down. Let's go take a walk down to the beach. And then he's like, die, bitch, die. You know? That's what I see happening. Like, he killed her. And then he went back to the hotel room. Then he went and rented another hotel room. Why would you do that? If your girlfriend was missing, wouldn't you stay at the hotel where she knew you were? Instead of being like, oh, I think I'm going to check out of this room and go to this other hotel over here. Fucking weird, dude. I'm telling you. Does not make sense. Like, this guy is guilty. Did you hear? Okay, you just came in, so you probably didn't hear, but his ex-girlfriend accidentally fell from the six-door fucking window in her apartment. Give me a break. All right, so. She had slipped and fallen off the rocks. Surely there would have been some bruises somewhere on her body as she went down. Said Manzanillo police investigator Arturo Reyes early in 1990. The investigation into Carol Wayne's death is still open, and we regular, re, regularly review the case. Unfortunately, the man we would most like to question, Mr. Durson, will probably never return to Manzanillo, so that we may ask him several questions to help clear up the case. Another Hollywood-connected unsolved mystery. Definitely. The American consulate official who investigated the case thoroughly agrees. Unsolved, certainly, but I don't think it was a drowning. A drowning, yes, of course, but there's a bit more to it than that. And I agree with that. The official would not elaborate on that statement. She did drown, but it wasn't accidental and it wasn't suicide. Like I said, like, he held her head underwater. Like, that's the only way you can drown somebody without leaving marks is to hold their head. Don't quote me on that and don't use that. Uh scenario to kill somebody but mr pat mccormick who wrote most of her lines as the matinee lady on the tonight show lamented carol wayne stood out as an original i think we lost one we lost a very valuable show business asset that may be the case but in any event carol wayne's death will be just another of hollywood's unsolved mysteries of which no solution and no definite definitive or positive solution at the very least will ever be found. Just who is Edward Burstyn? And what is his background? This is a question asked many times in the past few years by the friends of Carol Wayne and the Manzanillo police. In October 1969, 20-year-old Diane Linkletter, daughter of famed TV host and advertising pitchman Art Linkletter, kids say the darndest things leaked fell or somehow slipped to her death from a sixth floor window of her apartment 
Reports state there was LSD in her system. I'm telling you, Adrian and whoever else is listening on Twitch, this guy killed her, and then he killed this other chick, Miss Carol Wayne. He's a freaking murderer, and he knows how to cover up his tracks. Yes, Travis Willier is amazing. Yeah, and that's a smart way. Like, you know, sometimes there's bruises on the back of the neck or the shoulders or wherever you push when, when you're killing somebody. So far as I've read, when you do that, it leaves bruises. But not here on the scalp. Like, unless you shave their head, you can, like, at that point, see bruises. But who's going to shave a dead lady's head? They're going to be like, oh. Body looks fine. Looks like she just walked in the ocean and unalived herself. You can't say the S word on YouTube or other places, but yeah, she just walked in the ocean and unalived herself. I don't freaking think so. She was so distraught about her hotel room. She wasn't even drunk or high on cocaine and she just went and unalived herself in the freaking ocean. Freak! All these cover ups in Hollywood, it just really upsets me. It wasn't suicide, said her father at a Sunday press conference following his aspiring actress daughter's death. She was not herself. She was moided by the people who manufacture and distribute LSD. Diane Link letter was found on the sidewalk in front of the Shoreham Towers apartments in West Hollywood at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. October 4th, 1969, the police said, a young man who was with her, grabbed for her as she lunged through a casement window. The young man was Edward Durston. Murderer. Man, that guy, dude, seriously. He's going to find his judgment in the end. Like, yes, he might have gotten away with it in this lifetime, but I'm telling you, when he goes to heaven or wherever the heck he goes, he's going to find his judgment. Like, it's going to find him. Like, he might think he's escaped it because he's so brilliant and slippery, slimy, and, you know, weird. But he's going to find it in the end. That young man was Edward Durston. Diane Linkletter, 20, an aspiring actress model, died at County USC Medical Center following a stop at Hollywood Receiving Hospital. The doctors there said she was too badly hurt and needed more help than they could give her. Durston said he was too late to help her. Edward Durston was apparently also too late to help Carol Wayne's, who was 16 years later, in Manzanillo, Mexico. You know, too late. Right. He drowned her. I just, I know that's how it went. He told Sheriff's Lieutenant Norm Hamilton, since retired, that Diane had called him Friday night at his apartment. Burston lived a block away from Shoreham Towers and Horn Avenue, just off the Sunset Strip. He told Lieutenant Hamilton she was very upset. She was so upset. After talking to Durston, then a used car salesman, that explains everything, who hung around on the fringes of show business, Hamilton said, he was convinced that Diane Linkletter had been in a despondent emotional state and that she was concerned with her identity and her career. 
She also complained that she could not be her own person. What? Thurston also told sheriff's deputies that she had made cookies after he arrived at her apartment. She made you some cookies and then I'm going to jump out the window. Okay? Does that sound good? Let's let's do this. You ready? So enjoy your cookies where I go. She had made cookies after he arrived to her apartment about 3 a.m. and that they had sat up the rest of the night talking. Thurston later related that at 9 a.m. Diane went into her kitchen and did not return. Minutes later, she was found below her kitchen window. Discrepancy. Earlier, police had told the press that Durston made a grab for her, grabbed the bottle of her dress just as she went out the window. So, were you in the window? Or were you in the bedroom? Where were you? So, your stories aren't adding up. So, you're saying, oh, well, I was in the bedroom and she went into the kitchen and then I didn't see her and then I went out and I was like, why is this screen broken? Where is she? Oh, no. He did it. He threw her out the window. This guy, what a douche. A discrepancy. A discrepancy. Early police had told the press that Durston made a grab for her. I already said that. So Lieutenant Hamilton pointed out that Diane Linkletter had to stand on an object. What he didn't say in order to reach the sill and plunge 65 feet to the sidewalk below. What? Ugh. Nobody wants to die like that. Like, I died like that in a past life. I don't want to do it again. I don't want to. At the conclusion of his investigation, Hamilton stated, We believe we have heard a true story from the witness, and we also believe we have a good idea of her condition before the incident. She was high on LSD, and she thought she could fly, so she just flew out the window. I don't freaking think so. Give me a break. Nothing, at least publicly, had been heard about Edward Durston until Carol Wayne's body was found floating in the bay at Manzanillo. Telling you, Mr. Durston is an ugly motherfucker. So going on to the next chapter, Jennifer 2 and Death for 1. So we have Carol with Dennis O'Keefe in a scene from Topper Returns for Hal Roke and United Artists. Well, look at these beautiful people. Aren't they beautiful? Mm. Yeah. So that'll be uh, next Sunday when we do story times. On that note, boys and girls, we are going to go to our second music break. Oh, man. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Lily made me a UFO. So there's a a little thing here. There's a UFO, and then there's a cow saying, So she just made this for me just recently. Thank you, Miss Lily Peterson, for making me such a beautiful little UFO. So, Adrian, you're going to be excited about this because on this break, we have Miss Mia Savage with her band Antidote for Savages with Not a Phase, Bury Me in Heaven, which is one of my favorite songs of her. Um, singing to your grave. It looks like there's one missing. I might have to add it as we go. But anywho, you guys don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this music break.
I love Miss Me Savage, and I totally, totally miss her. Can't wait till she comes back from Phoenix, Arizona. She said she's coming back soon, so then I'll have my ghost hunting buddy. I was also talking to my friend Glow uh, the other night. Sorry, my claws coming unconnected. Anyways, I was like, man, I'm just dying to go ghost hunting. I don't want to do it alone because I know what can happen when you go alone. But yeah, it's a thing. So Glow's going to be back soon and Miss Mia is going to be back soon. So I'm super excited for that. Anywho, I thank you so much for joining me for story time and reading this book that we've been reading from. Um, during this third hour, we're going to check out some spooky videos. What do you guys think? You want to check it out? So I have it pulled up. Let's share the screen. And let's go. Want to talk about it? Here, here we go. Free your mind in the restaurant funnel. Such a good video. You guys ready? Oh, yeah. Welcome to Fearsome Top 5. Today we're going to take a look at 10 scary videos that may just prove that ghosts exist. Number 1. Number 1. Make sure you go over to Fearsome Top 5, follow, subscribe, like. And then Josiah was recently featured on the channel for the mysterious... Oh my goodness, what is this buffering about? And a message just things the happening in his house. Objects often appear to This is freaking frustrating. Defy physics as they move completely on their own. just making sure nobody is downloading or and um i come back and something is not is <sighs> say something i'm giving up on you say something i'm giving up on you oh shit but anywhere i would have followed you the crack why is it buffering like this sorry guys that's my kid dude don't yeah i love you that's crazy don't be messing with the children's i'm serious you're not f serious I mean, it's nothing. Actually, how the f am I going to get that back up? Goddamn. JD, come on, Christ. let's go. Josiah has been living. 
I just asked Vern, like, please make sure nobody's downloading anything like With last weekend like when this, I started buffering. Well, it was downloading a game, so. The pattern he's noticed is every time he drinks alcohol, the activity. Okay, so they say when you partake well, in spirits, just recently, after spirits might partake of you. You never know. Few drinks, he noticed one of his kitchen knives was out of place. He then began recording, and this is what happened. Holy Okay, so I will say I'm stupid for drinking. Uh, that knife fell out of that little knife container. No. Sorry, you guys. No. This buffering is super frustrating. Yeah, that one fell out into his bowl, the other one flinged out no. into the floor. Are you gonna get your deposit back? This is all because, dude, this is getting dangerous, bro. You're gonna cut yourself. You need to be careful. No. Actually, I'm. Oh, what the f just happened? Right in front of my fing face. Man. No. He didn't even clean it. He just puts it back in the knife case. Okay. You want some foot fungus on your sandwich? It's a regular old. F so there's nothing plugged into it. Looks normal. Knife container thingy. No, it's not. I just want. I'm not even hungry anymore. While filling his counter, one of the knives came flying out of the block completely on its own. Appearing to get yanked out, the knife went flying before landing blade first in the wooden floor. Mm -hmm. Despite his normal joking attitude towards this activity, this terrifying moment was enough to freak him out. And now, Dude. After this encounter, the activity in Josiah's home has officially gone from creepy to dangerous. My advice, ditch the metal knives and invest in plastic. Number two. The Brave Souls. Number two. Come on, Brave Souls. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's get it. Hello, investigator from the Midwest Ghost Hunter YouTube channel recently can. Oh my god. An investigation at the haunted village of Bonanzaville. F you, CenturyLink. I'm telling you, like, Located I just paid Dakota, for this two days Bonanzaville ago. Is a museum. And it's doing this. What the crack? Featuring old historic buildings. Hauntings uh, in this village have. Oh no! Oh no! From a tavern to a mansion and even to a church. This is so irritating. <sighs> Completely alone and in possession of the keys to every. 
He's got the keys. Let's go, brother. This guy is pretty damn Building. cool. Ian was ready to begin his investigation. With her he's a part of like Southwest Ghost Hunters or something like that. Like I think he's from Georgia or somewhere. Reports like of that. strange activity. I want to have him on the, the show. Telephone museum. This Ian is stepped foot inside, aggravated. eager to see what he could catch. If there's anybody in this building. You give me a sign of your presence. Could you show yourself somewhere in this building? Say so no uploading videos for the next like 25 minutes. Building? Come on. I heard there is a spirit here. Oh my that goodness. That makes phone calls to the other buildings. Feels like a bad, bad you case of hear me right now. hiccups. Say something, I'm giving up on you. Could you make this phone ring? Bing, bing. Could you call this phone? And he's kind of like Franco, like he goes out there on his own. I learned my lesson from doing that. Like I had a walk in. It, I'll answer it. Where I was like halfway between here and the reservation, and I had no clothes on. We could have a little mm. chit chat. Not a good thing. Let's have a little chit chat. Oh, they saw. Uh oh. Well, they're dead. And they're not even on. I'm not even sure if you'd even. I'd be able to make calls with it right now. Huh? Could you move this? The the rotary dial. Blink, blink, blink. Anywhere I would have followed you. Yeah, that was freaky. Like he's in this Whoa, telephone museum, and all of a sudden, one of the phones starts ringing. None of these phones are plugged in. These phones are disconnected. Pretty crazy. I think this is going to take a bit of time. Seriously. Like, what the freaking hell? Mm. I don't know, guys. I'm sorry. I just paid the internet like two days ago, and it's doing this. I should have reset the router, I think, but I don't know. I asked, is Floyd downloading something? No. Is Nova doing room. something online? I don't freaking know. Holy crap, that scared me. Holy you crap, I'm scared. One of the phones ring in that room? Uh -huh. Yeah, they did. Come on. Oh my god. Well, suppose. Let's go answer it. It's because I missed church today, huh? Now I'm being punished by God because I missed church today. Because I stayed up too late with my friend Adrian and 
Mânev. I nearly jumped out of my skin when I heard this phone ringing. These phones were no longer in service, leaving this occurrence unexplainable. Holy crap. There's like multiple phones in here. I have no idea which one it was. If you made the phone ring, could you do it again? Oh my, oh my god. Make me a hot dog with everything. Which phone was it? I'm Sandler's mom. That wiener looks delicious. Come on. Oh, this is so frustrating. So, if we get a gap in time, it's because I asked Vern, please reset the internet box. Because I just paid that shit. Should be working correctly, Whoa. but... I didn't reset afterwards, so every phone. I don't fucking know. Being unplugged and out oh, of service. That's so freaking frustrating. I'm sorry, guys. Ring, ring. This ghostly phone call startled Ian, and as he tried to, he tried to evidence of this undead caller. It looks like he succeeded. Oh my gosh! Oh my god! Hello. This is so freaking frustrating. Did you speak through this phone? Who called that phone? Earlier. Put my voice recorder up to it. So if you get a big gap, that means Vern actually reset the internet box because he said it's been chopped. Shoppy out there all night, like everything whisper. else has been going good except for um speaker. No, it was um the butt actually the butt actually acted up and when it was an hour and something minutes it showed only forty minutes. Phone, so it's been it's doing this shit all me, night. All night long all night. I'm telling you. Hello? A ghostly voice was called. Thank you guys for hanging in there with me. This is freaking frustrating. Wandering. So you being here and just hanging it out while this shit is buffering. It's amazing. Like I said, if we get a big gap, please just hang in there. I'll be right back. That means that Vernon no reset the internet box, but and being full of paranormal. It's redonkerous. I should have done that before the show. I even had to do a redo on my computer, a but visitor took this photo. I don't know. I don't know. Which okay. clearly captured a ghoulish face peering out from behind a wall, oh. and now Ian would eagerly attempt to make contact. There's anyone in here? Yeah, I we're in here. Come sit with me. Okay. I just want to get to know. Hey, how you doing? People that are here. I hear that there's uh, a lot of spirits oh, in this building. Can lift this up so you can Did see. You walk up to this table. 
and sit down with me. Spirit of Halloween, I mean, I finally open here in Durango. If you want to partake, thing, but you can go broke I mean, in that place. If you've got some, I don't know if you can in the afterlife, but feel okay, free so to. I'm gonna go back here sit on this table here. My heart is on fire. Whoa. So I'm going to pause really quick. Um, I just heard that. I'm going to talk to you guys for a second. Do you have your Halloween costume planned? I actually ordered mine and I got it. And I'm going to be Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. All I need is like a corset to, you know, prop these babies up. Otherwise, like, I got it. I even got the wig. And the girl that I cure take for, Tassie, she's like, why are you going to wear a wig? This is so uncomfortable. I'm like, um, because I don't have bangs. And she's like, oh, I'll cut your hair. I can give you bangs. And I'm like, I don't want bangs. Like, I like my hair one length. I like to be able to slick it back, roll it up in a bun, whatever the fuck. Um, but yeah, I got that 80s, like, Elvira wig. You can actually wash it, too. So depending on how it is when I take it out of the bag, I might have to wash it and press it. I don't know. Hopefully this shit works now, like, with the pausing and the uploading and uh, everything like that. Hopefully this works out better. Please, please, please. Because this whole stopping and starting and stopping and starting, I'm so surprised you guys are still here because I would have jumped off. That's your move. Holy moly. Holy free holies. You can clearly hear the chair in front of me moving by itself. However, I unfortunately was shining my infrared light in the camera's view. See, it's still doing it. Why? making the chair impossible to see. I did not capture the chair moving on my handheld camera either. However, I was about to document some of the most interesting... This is making me so mad! ...interesting communication I have ever received from a spirit. Mm-hmm. Please continue. Let's hear some more. Did you just sit down? Here. Hmm, I've been sitting here for a while, I'll you know? This next to you. Okay. Be close, closer. If you just sat down, could you touch that green I'm line? I'm telling you, Century Link, Century Stink. I wish I had Starlink. Whoa. Because I'd had more faith oh on that, God. except for. Starlink was, ta was taking care of Ukraine, and then all of a sudden, when they're on the battlefield as far as the sea goes, and they're Thank about you. to make an attack, then they cut the internet. And you say, you're not a part of this war, but you just did something that was profound. I'm like, that to me was crazy. Space here. I just want to feel... My heart is on fire. Elvira. Idiot. Dude, I'm telling you, this is Dude, so frustrating. Citrulline does that. And, like, there's lagging, there's all this other I shit. I just paid for this. Like, I should have paid for it, then gone out and reset the box, oh, but I'm like... Everything should male? be okay. If you're a I'm telling you, Adrian. If you are a male, could you Century touch that light? Link is Century Stink. P-U. 
Oh, wait, T-Shane. Let's not yeah. use this. Whoa. I'd rather have Starlink or something like that going on, because this like is pissing me off. I'm getting so frustrated. I hope you guys aren't getting as frustrated as I am, like, watching this. Like, we're just partially through this freaking video. We're only nine yeah. minutes and oh, man. Uh, 15 seconds Mobile into here. this. Are you aware that this place is shut down? Oh, shit. It's no longer a saloon. Are you aware of that? Or there's, am I wrong? There's more. There's, there's like 20-something more minutes left. Is this place still running? Mm. Yes. Wow. Wow, that is so interesting. This guy is so brave. I don't That's think I can do this. After I did For that him, one investigation open. alone yeah, and I got possessed, I'm like... Frick that. I'm kind of blown right now. It. Can you I'm see scared. me right now? I'm scared. I can't do it by yes. myself. Wow. Do I look solid? I'm going to tell mm -hmm. you this right now. And I, this it's weird too. Strange, like, there was that one movie, The Others, you. where you are these people were All living in their house and these different entities came in. Light. Come to find can out they were dead and they were the ghosts and the other people were not. That to me was intriguing. Are you still there? With an EMF meter on the table, it looks like something was incredibly responding to Ian's Dude, questions. Tell you what. And as he made it his was. way upstairs to the hotel portion of the building, these ghostly responses continued. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Not gonna run. Did you just tap on that bed? Oh! What? What did I just say? What did I just say? I just heard that. What the crap did I just say? I scared the living daylights out of me. Holy moly. He's great, great. I got it so clear on this voice recorder. Oh. Yeah, this guy, dude. Seriously, so there's Franco and there's oh my gosh, where he did a thing where he's like the alone series, where he's going alone everywhere. This woman's voice then he invited was so different vivid, people from different groups to go person. and do the alone yeah, challenge. See, I am the only one it is so scary. And the girl that was in there, she's like super. Who are you? She was super freaking away from Ian. And the guys were like, voice mm, darkness, like, get me out of here. Shortly after, he may I couldn't do it. Who this I just couldn't do it. To. Wow. That was a heck of a string of activity. You know what I'm Jeez, telling you. That woman's voice was so clear on here. I still mm -hmm. can't believe that. There's no doubt in my mind I was not alone in that mm -hmm. room. And I'm not sure who uh -uh. it was. Man, I just feel like a cold breeze just passed me. Like right there on the back of your neck and your face. Did somebody just go in front of me here? That's just like a wicked chill I got there. Uh-uh. Just seconds after I walk out of the room, a mist-like form appears from thin air. That's creepy AF. 
Yeah, it comes right out of the bed. It's like, hello, I'm here. As the night continued, Ian ventured over to the Houston mansion. Built in 1881, this mansion was constructed by David Houston, along with his wife, Annie. Later in 1906, David would tragically pass Annie away can't in this hear home. Me. And now many people believe that his spirit, along with Annie's, linger inside their former residence. Oh, Ian really? began exploring the home when he received a very clear message. Hello? Hello? Somebody up here? He's shaking. Can you see it? He's shaking. Okay, I, I would be I too. I would be so here. scared. I cannot do this by myself. <gasps> this is my house. Pretty sure that's what he said. He heard it. He was going up and he's like, oh, hell no. Ain't gonna do that, honey boo boo child. rough man's voice sent shivers down my spine. I'm telling you, dude. That's fucking crazy. I felt a strong crazy. presence and the atmosphere became heavy. After analyzing the audio, the voice sounds like it is saying. Oh, shit. I just lost it. Oh, man. Oh, man. Share screen. Giddy up. Um, bop, um, bop, meow, meow. So, yeah. So, for Halloween this year, I'm going to be Elvira, Mistress of the Night. We're going to go back to this video. Hopefully, we can find our place there. She's a freaking beat. Giddy up. No, and the internet has been a freaking a-hole. Hey, make sure you vote for me down here. That's the link. Please vote for me. Um, as long as I'm in like the top 20, aka top 10, like right now I'm number six, so I'm pretty safe. Um, and I kind of neglected it for sure. But I'm telling you guys, seriously. Seriously. Please vote for me. Face of horror. And people are like, you have such a beautiful face. Why are you saying face of horror? Okay, so I'm supposed to go head to head with Jason Voorhees and fight with that MFR. And yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, you what? There's some crazy ass things going on there. All right, so. I could continue this video, but at the same time, I'm trying to see, like, where the heck is it? Maybe it's down here further? I know, with all the buffering and everything, like, things are just not adding up. So I'm sorry. Um, I love watching scary videos. Like, I'll either watch it or listen to it to go to sleep because that's what the F I need. I have insomnia and. Your browser has locked your screen. Click the screen icon in your address bar to allow access. Then reload the page. Can you still see me? I'm here. But anywho's like So the chick that won it last year, she's very heavy set. She's cool, like she had all different kinds of costumes and stuff. Like, she's sitting there, she's reading a newspaper and getting these different pictures. And I'm like, man, I want to be like that because she was pretty cool. But yeah, one of the things I'm going to wear, I have to show you right now. 
if you're still there. I don't know if you are or not, but I'm unwrapping it. I got this from Claire's, and when I went to Spirit of Halloween, I saw the whole face dress, but this is the one I got from Claire's. For much cheaper, but look at this. Look at this beautiful thing. Seriously, like, that's pretty cool. And in pictures, like, I'll have my hair down and I have a skeleton costume I could be wearing. Like, that's pretty badass. Like, I like that. I like the different earrings I've gotten. To me, it's pretty interesting and intriguing. But, yeah, I just got a doing in my headphones. But look at that. Like, I could even add some, like, flair I can add some, you know, um, so here's the nostrils. Oh, nosy wants a booger. Anyways, I can add some silver, you know, something there and do something else with this. And then I found some different earrings at Claire's that were super freaking cool. I was hoping when I went to Spirit of Halloween, they'd have those daggers that I bought with the blood dripping off of them. I woke up one night after the show and I had one in, one out. So I put the one on my countertop and it was still rolling here, but it was kind of mashed up. I'm wondering where the other one went. All I got to do is like clean house, do some extra deep cleaning and figure out what the frack happened with that. I don't know you guys. Like... Uh... But please vote for me, like, right here. Vote for Tessa TNT, The Face of Horror. If you could, vote for me. I will go head-to-head in -head Mark Magazine and get to fight Mr. Jason Voorhees, a.k.a. Kane Hodder. Glad he's still in the industry. He's such a cool guy. But you go to afaceofhorror.org forward slash 2023 forward slash Tessa dash thomas dash peterson i actually had two accounts because i didn't hear anything back when i did my first one so i had two and one was me as a skeleton like being like but it was like flipped around yeah that's what i'm saying what do you think what do you think well, thank you so much once again, you guys, for hanging out with me on We Are Paradox Media's Late Night in the Rockies. Thank you to all of our friends on We Are Paradox Media's Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, KPNL Radio, Twitter, Speaker, iHeartRadio, and wherever the hell else you're listening. Beyond the Omniverse tonight... I had a wonderful time uh, this evening, and I can't wait to do it again. Next weekend, we have Mr. Troy Bacon. He's going to have a message to share, and it's going to be a really, really awesome show. Just like on every Saturday, we have different guests. On Sundays, it's me, Tessa TND, doing story time. So please join me, and please hang out with me. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you, whoever is out there on Twitch watching me. I don't know what your name is, because you never communicate but thank you so much for being there don't forget 
We are all in this together. Together, we can make the world a little better. And together, my friends, we are Paradox Media because without you, there is no us. Until next time, nighty night, love and light. Have a wonderful rest of your week. I hope you don't work too hard because we're just hitting that grindstone super hard, aren't we? I will see you here back next time. Same time, same crazy place next week. Hope to see you soon. Nighty night, love and light. Ooh.